Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On May 16th, nine storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Archetype Pizza in downtown York. The theme for our May Story Slam was Listen to Your Mother. We heard stories about Ouija boards, the power of a good nap when needed, and our mother's often outsized influence in our lives. In the end, we had a tie. Our first winner was Scott, who shared his story about a mom's ability to find anything and his mom's sage advice about perseverance. My mom was born in Rome, and I know she admitted a couple times in her life that um, people who were born in Rome could be a little bit snobby about people who weren't born in Rome, like the one of the cradles of civilization and all that. And she brought that with her to the United States in, in the mid-1950s and mixed that in with a, a personality that included um, kind of a goofy take on the world, a little bit semi-airheaded take on the world. And, and um, uh, she brought that with her. And, and, and just as an example, like we know that state slogans or, or state mottos can be really tourism slogans, right? Um, they're designed to promote the state. My mom would take those things literally. So when, when you would see New Jersey, the garden state, um, we know that the ag department basically won the argument, you know, to be the state motto, right? My mom thought that everyone in New Jersey was in a garden 100% of the time, picking cherry tomatoes and plucking peaches, and certainly no one in New Jersey was building an aqueduct or a coliseum, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Um, but when I got to be a teenager, it got to be a little bit cringy. And, uh, you know, I mean, I knew that people in New Jersey could build a straight line road. Okay. So um, it kind of became one of the ways that I started to think about my mom and my relationship to her and um, persisted and kind of, kind of hardened um, as I grew up into a, into a young adult and, a, and an adult and, and got married and had kids and um, continued on through the time when my parents bought a condo in New Jersey on the beach where our family could have free beach vacations. Now, if I had been a little bit less arrogant and a little more aware, I could have seen the reckoning coming. What I never could have seen was her gift. Our son was about 10 years old, got a metal detector for his birthday. What better place to test out a metal detector than on the beach? So we brought it with us one long weekend, and um, we head out to the beach. And one thing you have to know about the condo that my parents bought is that it was in the kind of a place where you had to wear a tag around your wrist or your ankle to prove that you belonged on that stretch of beach or you'd be run off, you know? And then you couldn't lose their stuff. Um, the, the, the condo rules were like, do not lose the key. And my mom would, 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 would add, or you will be prosecuted, you know, to that. Um, in, in reality, it was you would owe 25 bucks and you would earn the endless scorn of your mother. So we go out on the beach one day, and what better way to test a metal detector than with a metal key, which I had because we would go back and forth to the condo. So our son and I walk a few yards away from the, uh, from the beach chairs, and I, and I toss the key in the sand and, you know, kick a little sand over it. And he takes the metal detector, and he, he makes a couple of passes over it, and nothing happens. There's no sound. And I said, well, it's, it's right there. You know, do it again. And he does it again, and there's no sound. And I'm like, let me try it. Like, I know what I'm doing, right? So I, I take it, fiddle with it, 
make a couple of passes, there's nothing there. No sound, nothing's happening. I say, all right, let's try something else. So I give him back the metal detector. I reach down to grab the key, and there's nothing there. I, I can't, the key's not there. So I, I, I reach down, I kick the sand a little bit where I know I threw it down, right? I mean, I know where it is. I kick the sand a little bit, um, it's not there. I bend down, I start to dig a little bit, no key. I'm digging, now I'm in the wet sand, and there's no key. Right Now I'm panic, fury digging, throwing sand over my shoulder. I've uncovered Jimmy Hoffa's body. I'm moving it to the side, okay? There's no key. I stand up, I'm dripping with sweat, and I realize I'm gonna have to face my reckoning. I'm gonna have to go to my mom and tell her that I lost the key. So I walk over. It's, by the way, a perfect beach day, which I'm about to ruin for her. <laughs> and I say, Mom, I lost your key. Her favorite question, how did that happen? <laughs> I, I, just, I, I could only point to the giant hole in the beach, which is now big enough to take several crates of New Jersey produce. <laughs> my, mom, my mom walks over, looks down, bends over, reaches down, comes up with the key. I felt small. <laughs> I'm sorry, I said. She basically shrugged and said, chi cerca trova. I said, what does that mean? She said, whoever seeks will find. My mom was telling me, when things go bad, keep going, you'll find your way. Chi cerca trova. I thought about that a lot. I didn't want to forget it. So I asked her to write it down. And she did in her looping script in red pen on a little piece of yellow notepaper. As I said, I love my mom. My mom died in 2017. I still have that little yellow piece of paper with her looping script on it telling me to persevere. Scott earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Our second winner was Doc with his story about the power of written stories when his mother's memory began to fail. So my mom is and was a wise woman, and she's well on her way to sainthood. Uh, for the end of the story, you'll need to know that her sister Mabel, who was, I think, six years older than my mother, at the end of her life lost most of her memory. So my mom taught me a number of things, told me a number of things, but the one thing she didn't teach me, I learned by experience, my mom had those uh, stumps with the two nails and the hatchet. We would always go out to grandpa's house. She would get a crate of chickens and then she'd stick the neck through and then she'd chop and the blood would come spurting out. And if you've never butchered chickens, the uh, muscles and the nerves keep firing even though it's a headless chicken and our job as little kids, like five years old, was to keep the chickens out of the garden. And so we would be saying, ooh, shoot, whoa, stop, go back, as these headless chickens are coming flapping at us. <laughs> but one thing, my mom, my mom uh, was a 19-year-old bride, and uh, right after her 20th-year-old birthday, she had our, my older brother, and then a year and a half later had me, and then just kept pumping the kids out, five, five children. She was somebody who grew up in a one-room country school. She was Amish growing up. Uh, changed to conservative Mennonite, but she would have loved to have gone on to school. She would have loved to have been a teacher if, if that would have been a possibility for her life. 
So when I was in fourth grade, I remember being by the washing machine and the dryer, and she asked me what I wanted to do, and I said, I want to be a teacher. And she said, oh, that would be the most wonderful job. Do that. Do that. And it was the most wonderful job. She also said, don't fall in love early. Travel. Have experiences. See things. Do things. I didn't quite follow that advice. I fell in love early, but I fell in love with somebody who wanted to travel, who wanted to do things, see things before we had children. Another thing she said is words have meanings. So my, when I was four years old, I started in the, the preschool, Sunday school class, and Mary Gingrich was my teacher, and, and I heard someone referring to her as an old maid. And so I just used that term, and then my mom helped me realize how hurtful that term was, that, that the names we use for people, they have meanings. And um, she also taught me that... Uh, that, that same, same person, Mary Gingrich, she got married when she was 73 after having never been married. She got married to Albert Miller. And uh, they were married, I think, until Mary was about 92 and Mary died. And then I saw in a, in a church publication that Mrs. Albert Miller's funeral was going to be the next Saturday. And I just puffed up with righteousness, like, no, wait, you can't just erase Mary Gingrich's life and turn her into Mrs. Albert Miller. How can you do that? And then my mom said something that I hear over and over in my head when I puff up with righteous indignation. She said, Daryl, you really don't know as much as you think you know. <laughs> that, that Mary would have wanted her name to be Mrs. Albert Miller because after years of being this old maid, in the community, she was a mother, she was a grandmother, she was a great-grandmother, and in that culture and that, that mindset that gave her validity that she had always been wanting. And it wasn't up to me to decide whether she should be Mrs. Albert Meller or not. And I hear that in my mind, my mom saying, Daryl, you don't really know all that you think you know. And she also said, when we were doing our travels around the world and having these experiences, and even now, she'll say, are you writing them down? Are you keeping a journal? These are so, and she kind of has lived vicariously through her sons and their families and now through her grandchildren. Are you writing them down? Are you writing them down? And we don't write them down. We know we should, but we don't. So about two years ago, a year and a half ago, I saw one of these things where you can buy it for a present for an, an older relative. You know, there's all these prompts, and then they write it, and then it turns out to be a book. And I said to Mom, Mom, you've had this really interesting, wonderful life. Would you like to, uh, would you like to do that? And she said, huh, Daryl, I'm already writing it. I said, what? You're writing? You're writing a memoir? Yeah, I've started. I'm writing things down. And so every time I would go home, I'd say, can I read it? And she wouldn't let me read it. And, and then finally, the last time I was home, she said, okay. I said, Mom, I, I have to see this. How many pages you got? And she's got like, at that point, 22, 24 handwritten pages, tiny little handwritten writing. And... Um, I said, you got to send it to me. So they made copies and sent it to me, and then I typed it into the computer. And yesterday, 
I'm on Zoom with her and I'm going through and then I had some questions and some of the words I couldn't read and some of the things didn't copy correctly. And, and we got to a, a part about her dad, this Amish farmer, sitting out on the porch with her as a little girl watching the storms roll across the fields in Iowa, Tornado Alley, and helping her to see the wonder of the storms. She did that for me and my brothers. We would sit out on the porch swing until we, the rain and the, would drive us in. And, and she talked, well, we made jokes about angels throwing potatoes down the stairs. And, 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 and I've done it with my children here in Lancaster, and I've done it with my grandchildren. It's the most wonderful thing. And yesterday, we're going through this section about her dad. And I said, Mom, you didn't put anything in about doing that with us. And my mom said, I don't remember that. Did I do that with you? I don't remember that. And it, it really hit me. Mabel losing her memory. And my mom, same thing, but writing it down as fast as she can. Doc also earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Mina, who shared her story about a time not to take advice from her mother. My mother was not June Cleaver. My mother was not Carol Brady. Although during my elementary school years, we did have a huge blended family. My mother was more um, Roseanne. <laughs> Be before Roseanne became Roseanne, my mother could out-curse any sailor at any time at all. But she would threaten us that if she heard us cursing, that we would have our mouth washed out with soap. I'm sure you've heard that. But she would also follow that up with one of her favorite lines. That's not a threat. That's a promise. Yeah. So we, our life was interesting on occasion. Um, she had some rules. One thing that sort of relates to not a threat, it's a promise is we were not allowed to drink from public water fountains. Um, she may have been ahead of herself at, at the time because here recently we haven't been doing that. We could drink out of a hose, but we could not drink out of a public water fountain. And if she knew we had done it, we would have to gargle <coughs> with hydrogen peroxide. <coughs> you know, the bubbles coming out of your mouth, the whole thing. It was horrible. Well. We, growing up, um, our life was not ideal. Um, there was a lot of abuse. Um, at that time, you would have called it dysfunctional. I don't think that phrase is out there much anymore. Um, my mother lived a life that was so abusive and what she endured in her life, she managed to pass that abuse down to her children and her family. We 
very often that level of abuse, the violence increased, increased over the years. And it wasn't unusual at Friday night, here comes the police to our house. But the problem with that was the next day, the crying and the begging and the pleading, don't leave me, I love you, we will, I will never do that again. And for some reason, it was believed, and the hugs and the kisses and everything was hunky-dory until the next time. Well, my mom told me, I was her only daughter, that I should never allow a man to put his hands on me. And she shared a plan with me. Um, all it required is a tuna can and time. Well, you start by half opening a tuna fish can using one of those old-fashioned um, can openers. And preferably, you use the tuna that was packed in oil. And when you're done opening that, you have a can that kind of looks like this. And then you take that tuna and you make it into the most wonderful sandwich and you serve it to your man with a smile on your face and he enjoys that tuna sandwich. When you go back into the kitchen, you take that tuna can, unwashed, and sit it in the window. Oh, for a week or so until it gets particularly nasty. And then when your man's asleep, you sort of uncover and you take a little nip. Now, it's not the physical part of that that I found so nasty. My mother was truly evil, and you can't just cause the physical pain, but you also have to add that level of adding the, uh, the germs and the, into the system, and which would really have a major effect on the body and there was possibility for healing. And this is the way my mom thought. Now, I was told this about 20 years before uh, Marlena Bobbert. And uh, Marlena was able to get off, found not guilty because of insanity. Well, I don't think if anyone were to follow the plan my mother laid forward, any court in the world would say it was anything but premeditated. And so I recommend that don't listen to my mother. <laughs> All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return at the end of the season to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York at our Grand Slam. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstorieslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at at YorkStorySlam, as well as on Facebook. And watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Catherine Roquet. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson.